Okay, this is Matthew 20 uh, from the NIV. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the, the, owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they, ca- so when those came, for, uh, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them re- also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, "And you have made them equal to us who have." who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the, the, one, who was hired, the, uh, the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Amen. Okay, Um, so that's the story. We're going to go through that story today. Um, But just before doing that, I'd like to hear from you what some of your answers were. So what did you think was the most offensive teaching in Christianity? Maybe two volunteers. Anyone? Christina had one. Okay, so the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to God um, so that's pretty offensive um, for some people. Okay. Any, anyone else? What did you have, Ansley? Salvation is offered for free. Freely given, freely received, and you find that offensive. <laughs> Okay, well, you just, um, you just ruined my setup. <laughs> like, yes, because um, that's actually the topic, right? <laughs> right, um, so, yeah, some people think, you know, maybe um, the fact that there's hell or there's punishment um, that you might receive from God after you die, um, some people find that offensive. But actually, yeah, today, I want to address a very unlikely candidate Um, of the most offensive teaching in the Bible, and Ansley nailed it, okay? So, because it's very unlikely, we don't think about this as an offensive teaching, because um, we sing about it a lot. We sing about it, and when we talk about it as Christians, we feel very warm and fluffy and happy. But it's actually very offensive, and this teaching is the teaching on grace, So what is grace? 
Okay, so the next slide. Um, Grace, what does it mean? It's a girl's name, Grace. Hello. <laughs> um, we use the word a lot, grace, but what does it actually mean? The dictionary defines grace as the unmerited favor of God towards men. It means God giving people something that they want or need, but it's not based on the person's merit or performance, but purely out of God's own kindness and generosity. The greatest example in the Bible would be salvation. The Bible teaches that salvation or the right to enter into God's kingdom is a gift from God to anyone who wants to accept it. Anyone. And it's free. It sounds good, doesn't it? But if grace is so good, then why do people get offended by it? Someone once said, miracles offend the laws of physics, but grace offends the laws of morality. Grace is offensive because it violates our sense of justice and our sense of morality. So I believe the story we have before us today really highlights this point for us. The story from Matthew 20 is a parable that Jesus told about what the kingdom of God is like. He says this, A kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out early to hire laborers to work in his vineyard. The owner negotiated with the workers and agreed to pay them one silver coin for a whole day's work. Now, a silver coin is the regular pay at that time, and it's a pretty decent pay. So they agreed, and they went into his vineyard to work. So after he sent the workers into the vineyard, he went out again to the marketplace repeatedly at 9 a.m., at 12 p.m., at 3 p.m., and he engaged more workers to work for him. The difference this time is he doesn't tell them how much he was going to pay them, but he says, I will pay you a fair wage in verse 4. Then at about 5 p.m., the owner went out to the marketplace again. There's now only one hour left till the sun sets. He asked the people standing there, why have, you, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? And they replied that they had not been able to get any work because no one had hired them. The owner then employed them too, so that they could work in a vineyard, but this time there was no mention of payment. When evening came, the owner got his accountant ready to pay the workers, but he gave this strange order to start with the people who came in last and work backwards so that the people who came in first would be paid last. Right up to this point of the story, everything seems to be okay. We might be a little bit curious as to why the owner wanted to pay the last ones first, but still, it's nothing out of the ordinary. But the story doesn't stop here. When the people who only worked for one hour came, so the 5 p.m. workers, they worked for one hour, and they received one whole silver coin. Wait, isn't the silver coin meant to be for a whole day's work? A day's work is about 12 hours, Aren't they supposed to be receiving only one twelfth of a silver point of a silver coin? So that's a little bit strange. The reactions of the five p.m. workers were not recorded for us, but the Bible does reveal for us what the six a.m. the first workers were thinking. This is so cool. This is my lucky day. If that guy who worked for one hour got one whole silver coin. 
then how much more would I get? I worked for 12 hours. That's 12 silver coins for me. Awesome. Make a mental note. Come back and work for this owner again. But as their turn came, they found out quickly that they were also being paid one silver coin. So it's no surprise that they would grumble at the owner. We've worked so hard under the heat of the sun for such long hours, and yet you would count those who came at 5 p.m., who worked only for an hour, and end in the cool of the evening, equal to us? That is just so unfair. So unfair. Well, listen to what the owner says in verse 13. Listen, friend, I have not cheated you. After all, you agreed to do a day's work for one silver coin. And they did. Now take your pay and go home. I want to give this man who was hired last as much as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do as I wish with my own money? Or are you jealous because I am generous? If you are the first workers, um, after hearing that reply from the owner, I wonder how you would be feeling right now. I think for most of us, even though we can see the logic and the technical correctness of the owner's response, it's not a very satisfying answer. Technically, the owner had done no wrong. He upheld his end of the bargain. But we can't deny that we still feel cheated because the owner has violated our sense of justice. We think that it is unjust and unfair that people who worked less should be counted as equal to the people who worked more. Whether it was then or now, we all seem to possess this moral ruler. It's called the equality of exchange. The idea is that you should get only what you deserve. 10 hours of work, 10 hours of pay. One hour of work, one hour of pay. Makes sense. In the parable, the owner seems to have totally disregarded this rule. He gave the workers who only worked for an hour a whole day's pay. That seems to be a little bit unfair. However, if we think about this a little bit longer, we will find that the owner giving extra pay to the late workers isn't really the issue that's making us squirm in our seats. If the Bible reading actually ended in verse 9, even if we were the 6 a.m. workers, we would not have been offended. We may have been a little bit surprised at how generous the owner is or even praise him for his generosity, but we wouldn't be angry. After all, we are a society that values things like looking after the poor or being generous towards others. So what seems to be the problem? The problem is when we find out that the 6 a.m. workers are only getting paid a silver coin. We identify with these workers because we feel that they are being unfairly treated. They had an expectation, and we have an expectation that they would be given more. If the owner wanted to be generous, sure, he can be generous. Then he must show generosity to everyone. And he must show generosity in proportion to how much work they have done. That's what we think. Yeah, if you want to be generous, sure. But if you're generous to him, then you've got to be generous to me. 
and it must be in proportion. But this owner, he did it anyway. He violated our sense of justice. It's so unfair. But remember, Jesus wasn't talking about industrial relations. He's talking about the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God like? The God of this kingdom is a king who turns this rule of fair exchange upside down. God's kingdom has a king who isn't bound by this rule of exchange. Rather, God is a king who loves to be generous and loves to give grace and compassion to those who need it. And this is why people find grace to be one of the most offensive, repulsive claims of the Bible. Our world today doesn't appreciate a God who is free to do whatever he wishes with whatever belongs to him. We don't like a God um, who is generous and who shows generosity and grace to whomever he chooses, and we don't want a God who saves whomever he wishes. We don't want a God who is free. If there is to be a God, then this God must play by our rules. If God was to do anything, he should do it in proportion to our effort. The people who made the most effort should be the first in line to enter his kingdom. The people who made the least effort should be at the end. Imagine then the anger when God seems to totally disregard this rule. Now this was the case for the original audience um, of this parable, the Jewish people. The religious leaders of the day thought they were way better than everybody else because they had kept the law, they worked hard for God. So when Jesus came, they had expectations. They expected Jesus to spend most of his time with them to get the most of Jesus' attention. They expected to get praise from Jesus and to have important seats next to him. But instead, Jesus defied their expectations and he opened the door of salvation to those who they thought were unworthy, who did not deserve it, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and even foreigners. They were deeply offended that Jesus counted those people equal to them. They were so offended that they decided to reject Jesus altogether. So the grace Jesus gave to others was their stumbling block. But are we any different today? Okay, I'd like to show you a picture. Do you guys know who this man is? Yes, showing our age. We're very young. His name is Ted Bundy. He was one of the most vicious and notorious criminals of the 20th century. At the time of his execution, he confessed to 30 murders, but the real number of the murders were unknown. He did all sorts of horrible things to his victims, and he would even mutilate their corpse. He was captured in Florida in 1978, and he was executed in 1989. His own defense lawyer called him the very definition of heartless evil. This man, Ted Bundy, he deserved the harshest of punishment. But something shocking happened while he was in jail. He repented and he became a follower of Jesus. And if he was sincere in his repentance, 
then the Bible says God would welcome him into his kingdom. Imagine the outrage when news of his repentance went public. People started saying things like, what kind of God would let Ted Bundy go to heaven? If God would allow Ted Bundy into heaven, then I'd rather not be there. Just like the Jews who got offended at Jesus' love for those they thought were undeserving, our society got offended that God would save someone like Ted Bundy, that he would treat Ted Bundy the same way that he treats us. That is so unfair. We believe in the equality of exchange. People who do good deserve to be in heaven, and people who do bad should not be counted as equal to those who do good. It's like standing in a queue, okay? If, and this is an if, if heaven has a limited number of spots available and we all need to stand in a queue to enter into heaven, then we expect people who do a lot of good deeds to stand at the very front of the queue. As for us, we are not Mother Teresa's, so we may not be at the very front, but for most of us, we have worked hard at being a good and decent person. So let's say we probably deserve a spot in the middle. But people like Ted Bundy, right? They should be at the very end of the queue. In fact, people so bad like, like, so bad like him shouldn't even be allowed to queue. But when God gave grace to Ted Bundy, it's almost like God allowing Ted Bundy to jump the queue. Oh, how it makes us mad. How it makes us want to shout, hey, stop, you get back in line. Perhaps some of us sitting here are feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now. If you are feeling a little bit offended, I would like us to really pause for a bit. The reason why we feel this injustice is because we've identified ourselves with the 6 a.m. workers. We believe that we are the people who work hard, we donate to charity, we go to church, we try to love others. We may not be saints, but we are at least good. We've worked hard at being a good person. We may have even made sacrifices for God. We feel for the 6 a.m. workers because we think we are them. We've worked hard, so we are entitled to more. But is that really the case? There is a website on the internet which documents extreme crime. People who go to this website gets to vote on whether they think the people who committed certain crimes deserve to go to hell. From the comments section of the website, it seems that the reason why people go there is to compare themselves with the people, with the people who commit these crimes in order to feel good about themselves. They go there so that they could condemn others and derive from that a sense of self-righteousness. I'm, I'm not like them. I'm not too bad. They are the really bad ones. People visit these sites so that they can think that they are good. However, the Bible tells us that our standards do not count. The most important standard is actually God's standard. And according to God's standard, we are all sinners. We are not good. Romans 3 tells us that no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. 
So in the end, it's not our standard that counts, but God's standard. And if God were to apply our dearly beloved equality of exchange to us, then the ugly truth is that none of us will be able to enter into his kingdom. Instead, we all deserve to be in hell. Slide. Um, you see, fairness, fairness, we want fairness, but fairness doesn't actually work in our favor. If we go back to the queuing analogy, if the rule of exchange is applied to us, then no one would actually be allowed to stand in the queue. Not Ted Bundy, not Pastor Steve, not you, and not me. We have all fallen short. But thankfully, that's not how God treats us. He doesn't treat us according to what we deserve, but he gives us grace. Next slide. The great news is there is no queue to enter into heaven, okay? So please don't tell people that you need to stand in a queue. There is no queue. Because God, out of his mercy and love, provided Jesus for humanity so that anyone who wishes to enter his kingdom, they can do so by trusting in Jesus. God is a super rich owner, and his kingdom is super, super big. In his kindness, God has prepared a spot in his kingdom for anyone who truly desires it. Anyone. So you see, grace no longer offends us if we stop identifying ourselves with the 6 a.m. workers and realize that we are actually the 5 p.m. workers who did not deserve the pay. Let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of these 5 p.m. workers. Imagine that you were standing there the whole day in the marketplace waiting for someone to hire you. You're getting a little bit anxious because no one's, you know, no one's around. You've got a sick mother at home that needs medication. You've got three young children waiting to be fed. You need to change, you know, broken things in your house. You need to buy stuff, buy nappies for your baby. But you're not going to be able to do that unless somebody hired you. They stood around the whole day, well, you stood around the whole day, thinking, this is it. I'm going to go home today empty-handed. Imagine the disappointment. Imagine the cries of these hungry children. But then he meets the owner and he says, come, work in my vineyard. And in your mind, you're thinking, okay, it's just one hour left till sunset. Even if I just get one twelfth of a pay, maybe two of my family members can be fed today. That's better than nothing. So he goes, or you go, <laughs> so you go, and you work. And when it's time to get your pay, you've got one whole silver coin. That's a whole day's wage. And you go, wow, that's too much. I don't deserve this. But the foreman says, you know, it's all right. It's from the owner. Don't worry. Go home. Buy the food. Enjoy your time with your family. The owner wanted to bless you. The owner wants you to have, you know, food on the table today. Imagine how they would feel. Humbled and grateful. And you know what? Just as it was with the late workers, 
God did not treat us according to the rules of exchange, but chose to have compassion on us. In Jesus, God allowed us, the Gentiles, who did not know or served him, who came in last to be counted equal to the Jews, those that have known him and served him for hundreds of years. He counted us equal to them. So in God's economy, the first is the same as the last and the last first. This is because of God's compassion. And knowing this, it should humble us. It should bring about gratitude and praise for the generosity of God. So don't let grace offend you. Let grace save you. So if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you today that God wants to welcome you into his kingdom. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, whether good or bad. He doesn't look at your performance. Actually, your performance is irrelevant. No one can ever be good enough to deserve a spot in God's kingdom. But God wants to share his kingdom with you because he loves you. God is a generous and compassionate God. So if you'd like to accept God's grace, the unmerited favor of God towards you, please speak to someone today. Now for the Christians, we know about this grace, don't we? We've accepted and enjoyed this grace perhaps for many years. We are also aware that grace and generosity is a characteristic of God's kingdom. But as the years go by, have we been exhibiting these characteristics in growing measures? Are we gracious like God is gracious? Are we generous like God is generous? Have we allowed God's kingdom values to replace our old mindset? Yes, you may say. Until you hear this story. In early church history, the church was heavily persecuted. In around 250 AD, an emperor called Decius took over the Roman Empire, and an empire-wide persecution broke out against the church. Christians everywhere were ordered to worship the emperor. During that time, many Christians, they stood firm. They refused to worship the emperor. As a result, they were killed, they were beaten, and many lost family members, many lost their jobs, lost their houses and possessions. But at the same time, some Christians, they lapsed. They submitted under the pressure, and they made sacrifices to the emperor, denying Jesus to be their God. There were even pastors who secretly fled to the mountains and abandoned their church behind. But after the persecution died down, these, these people, including the pastor, who lapsed, who fled, they wanted to repent and come back to the church. What would you do? Would you accept them? Yeah, we, we think we would. But imagine if you lost a limb for Jesus during the time of persecution. If you lost your house for Jesus. If someone in your family died because of this persecution, and those cowards, they left, they fled, they submitted to the government. How dare them want to come back and think that they are the same as us? Many Christians decided to reject these people, and they considered them unworthy to be part of the church. And this actually caused a huge split in the early church. It's not that easy. 
It's not that easy. And I'm preaching this sermon today because it's not easy for me. I shared this at the mother's group the other day. Grace doesn't come naturally for me. I struggle with this in my daily life. So often in my life, I still feel the pull towards the rule of exchange or fairness and not towards grace. So I personally need to be reminded very often. You know, sometimes it's like this. The longer we serve in church, the more sacrifices we make for God, we somehow start to feel that God owes us something. Like, we've worked hard, so we deserve to have a better life than other people. When suffering comes, maybe we'll grumble against God. How could you do this to me? I did so much for you. And him? Look at that person. What did he do? Nothing. But why is it that I have to suffer and not them? That's so unfair. Does that sound familiar? It's scary because I catch myself thinking that sometimes. Do you? Or it may not be in the times of suffering. It may be in the times of blessing. God blessing others with what we desire, but we don't have. Maybe a boyfriend. Maybe a child. Maybe an upgrade for the flight. Or maybe, Joyce, I'm looking at you, winning that Apple Watch from the church raffle. And we complain, God, why did you give that watch to her and not to me? That's so unfair. What has she done for you? Oh, she's done a lot, but what has she done for you? <laughs> that person doesn't deserve it. If anyone should get that Apple Watch, it should have been Pastor Steve. I wanted to say me, but Pastor Steve probably sacrificed a little bit more. So it should have been Pastor Steve. And then I'm next in line. I wonder if this is how you think. Brothers and sisters, do you struggle with grace? Does God's grace towards others offend you? It's crazy, but it's true. There are people out there who have walked away from God because they were offended at the grace and generosity God gives to somebody else. Dear brothers and sisters, may we take our eyes away from ourselves. May we stop comparing ourselves with others and fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who humbled himself and even died on the cross willingly to save us, to give us grace. Let us meditate on how high, how wide, and how deep God's mercy and grace is towards us and let our hearts overflow with gratitude and thanks. Next time, when God blesses others, with good gifts, may we not be jealous as though God had done something wrong. Instead, may we celebrate it with them. May we praise God with them for his generosity.